Just a quick word of warning before we get going that the following podcast will almost certainly contain spoilers and may also contain strong language and conversations of an adult nature. Welcome to Minisode 143 of Strong Language and Violent Scenes, the podcast giving a second chance to films that might not deserve them. I'm Mitch Bain, I'm a lapsed horror writer and an occasional doer of musical things. And I'm Andy Stewart. Hello. Hi there, how are you? I'm alright mate, how the hell are you? Not bad at all, for date stamp purposes, coming at you around about 11 o'clock on a Sunday morning. How has your week slash weekend been? Um, it's been okay, to be honest. I haven't really had much to report. It's been a relatively laid back affair. I haven't really Quite subdued. Yeah, yeah, I haven't really haven't really done much. And to be fair, I haven't really watched much either because for the umpteenth time I've been revisiting the X Files because it's on Disney Plus or Disney Star, I think it might be called now. Yes, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That cha- that channel on Disney Plus. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that thing on Disney Plus where you can watch grown up things. Yeah, I've actually I've I've binged a bunch of later seasons of Family Guy um on that just because I want to because I used to quite like Family Guy and I want to have a more specific opinion about it than it went shit after a while. Sure. <laughs> um however, I haven't watched uh seasons 12 to 18 since uh, Disney Star arrived. I can confirm that my opinion is now no more refined than it went shit after a while. Right, okay. Uh, I mean, I've, I've been kind of dipping between the X-Files on there and episodes of the Jack Bauer Power Hour. Oh, nice. Okay, yeah. 24, that's there as well, of course. Yeah. yeah. Uh, a whole bunch of stuff on there, actually. But anything kind of thematically relevant that you want to talk about? Yeah, I was finally able to check out Sacrifice, which uh, I think comes out tomorrow, if I'm not mistaken, on VOD in the UK. Okay, so today, if you're listening on release day, then? Yes, yes, of course. Yeah, apologies. Okay, yeah. I um, I watched this also, but if it's the main thing that you've watched this week, then uh, you can kind of lead the charge on this one. Yeah, cool. No problem. Uh, for anyone who doesn't really know, it's the story of two Americans, uh, husband and wife, who travel to a small town in Norway to kind of take charge of this house that's been left to them, like in a will type situation. And mm-hmm. when they get there... They quickly realise that things aren't exactly as they seem. That is a way of putting it, yeah. Mm. Um, so, Lovecraft-inspired, but not based on a Lovecraft story. The uh, the opening titles kind of acknowledge that distinction. Yeah, yeah, I think it's based on a short story and very loosely based, I suppose, on the Cthulhu mythology that Lovecraft kind of invented. Yeah, it's based on a short story called Men of the Cloth, I believe. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, so what were your impressions on this? To be honest, I wasn't too hot on it. Uh, Me I neither. I don't mind telling you. A lot of my main issues I have are kind of centred around people, uh, in this case, English people doing American accents and American people doing Norwegian accents. Yeah, both of those are sticking point for me as well. Yeah, and and that's not kind of the least of the film's problems, but it doesn't help. And I'm, I'm kind of at a loss to figure out, apart from a kind of line of dialogue early on that kind of explains the fact that Norwegian people maybe made it to America before Columbus did. I don't really see why they had to be American. Yeah, uh-huh, but also just, you know, cast American people. Yeah, or cast, let British people have their own accents, because Norway's just a hop over the water. Yeah, I think whichever one of the two ways you go with that, there are two ways you can go with it. And yeah, I think that, like, to be honest, I agree that, like, the, the, the shoddy accent thing, which is very prominent, rides very high in the saddle, I think. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean that, like, I dismiss the film at hand, but what I will say is that it's such a button for me that it does take me out of it in a way that I find very difficult to recover from. Yeah, and I will say, I don't actually rate either of the two 
lead actors that highly either. Not particularly, I wouldn't say. I don't. I don't think that they're bad. I don't think that they bring a massive amount to the table. Uh, also, Barbara Crampton in here. Yeah, Barbara Crampton's here again. Feels a little bit like stunt casting to me. But Barbara Crampton affecting a Norwegian accent here, and I know she had a, a dialect coach for this, but. I don't know, it doesn't feel that authentic to me. Yeah, me neither. And I mean, I don't know. I think when it's somebody that's as prominent as that, it's difficult to tell whether it is kind of a situation where you're so acquainted with what they sound like Mm. that anything else feels weird or if it's just a ropey accent. And I think it might be a little from each column, to be honest. Yeah, and to be honest, I mean, I've got really nothing bad to say about Barbara Crampton's performance aside from that. She's doing the best of what she's got here and she's absolutely fine. I'm a big Barbara Crampton fan so I don't want to sound like I'm slamming her here because I'm really not but I don't know if it was a directorial thing or if it was just again like I say kind of dodgily delivered dialogue but there was times where she sounded like gold member. Yeah, uh-huh. it's, it's, it, is a, it is a problem. I don't think that like, th- like this one isn't a complete mess. Like I mean no. it's it, 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 like there's parts of it that work. I think that the film's doing its best work probably Probably in the second act when um, obviously you've got this couple that are kind of like becoming kind of ingratiated into this community. Yeah, and in doing so they're becoming more and more estranged from each other. Yeah, because, and I think that the part where the woman is like, I am very uncomfortable here, we need to go, and the other guy is just completely straight-faced, like, what are you talking about? This place is amazing, we should stay. (laughs) And um, I think that that stuff is good, and I think that that's probably when the performances do the most heavy lifting, dramatically. But, Mm. yeah, not a massive amount going on with this one, I don't think. I mean, there's a fair amount of decent stuff at the end from the, like, well, not right at the end, because it goes in a kind of folksy sacrifice way, I suppose. Uh, almost kind of wicker manny. But uh, I think the, the stuff just before that, where the wife's trying to escape and she is like, she's really upset and stuff, I think that's probably the strongest bit of acting in the film. It's not like without merit. It definitely has its moments, but I think that it is moments. Mm, and I think it's a, a bold decision to have gone to Norway to film this because all that stuff, like, Norway's fucking beautiful and it looks beautiful here. And, and that the little town that they're shooting in is lovely as well. It's just, all that stuff is great. Mm-hmm. I just wasn't overly invested in the film. I don't think it had a lot to say. And it, it just felt like shoehorning in Lovecrafty and stuff for the sake of it into a story that ultimately doesn't need it. Yeah, I'd say it's probably fair. It kind of feels like it's kind of like, kind of trying to birth a selling point from thin air. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But if you like Lovecrafty and stuff and kind of like Scandi things, I guess, and kind of slow burn thrillers, this is out there now. Um, if you want to go check that out, it is available on all the VOD channels. Yeah, if you like convincing accents, avoid it. <laughs> uh, is that your main one outside of SideQuest this week? Pretty much, to be honest. Yeah, like I say, I've been caught up in X-Files. And I stand by what I've said previously on the show, that, in my opinion, the season five episode, the postmodern Prometheus, is the best X-Files episode. Okay, I have a couple this week. One brand new, one new-ish. Now, I have been setting aside, or trying to set aside, time to watch the Mike Flanagan director's cut of uh, Doctor Sleep. Ah, all 180 minutes on the nose of it. 180 minutes, yes, aha, and not a minute more. I haven't seen the theatrical cut of the film, and I just kind of decided, one, that obviously I really wanted to see it, but I didn't see it in cinemas for one reason or another. I think probably because it was a two and a half hour horror film, so it was never going to have a long cinema run, I don't think, and Mm -hmm. I just missed it that week. So I just kind of resolved that when I watched it, it would be the director's cut that I watched, and I would kind of like devote an evening to it. Yeah. So um, I did kind of, uh, last week, I preemptively rewatched The Shining, which I'm really glad that I did. 
Okay. Mm-hmm. And I just, I think it was Wednesday this week, I just kind of settled. I was like, today is the day. Right. Um, and I just kind of settled down, put myself a glass of wine and put it on. And I thought it was great. I really, really liked it. Good. Um, Good. I, I, yeah, I was really impressed with it. I think that I think that Mike Flanagan's great. I'm not telling anybody anything that they don't know when I say that, but mm-hmm. I think that he's, uh, I think he's superb. Didn't feel its length either. No, um, no, I think it's, uh, considering it's three hours long, the Blu-ray I've got's got the theatrical and the director's on it, and um, I think the director's is the version to watch, to be honest. Like, That's not always the case. Sometimes I feel like director's cuts get a bit stuck up their own arse. Yeah, and I don't, th- yeah, I don't think that that happens. Um, no. Like in this at all. Um, well, I mean, I haven't seen the theatrical. It's actually it's on now TV, so I could see myself. I'm interested enough to watch the two two and a half hour cut at some point. All right, okay. Uh, just to kind of understand what's kind of not developed as much in that cut. But yeah, I thought it was really great. What I also liked was um, that they didn't try and do any like digital de aging or anything like that when they needed to cut back to characters from the time. Well, they just um, recast them. They just recast them, and yeah. I think that like recasting in kind of roles like that is a big decision. But I think that it's one of those things that not everyone's going to like. And I think that I like the fact that they don't try and make a secret of it. Sure. Like, um, you know, like, uh, obviously, there's kind of a Jack Torrance character in there. um, Jack Torrance is in it. Yeah. And obviously, there's like a young Danny, the whole family, and um, Dick Halloran. And I love the fact that it doesn't try and kind of like have them in it, but stash them into the wings. Like, I like Mm -hmm. like the fact that it doesn't kind of, uh, it doesn't make any bones about the fact that it recast them. And the reasons for doing that, I think, are great as well. I read about it, and he basically said that like having like a digitally de aged Shelley Duvall Mm -hmm. uh, in the first five minutes felt too much like you were going to be making a video game. It's like it felt disrespectful. Yeah. And I really like that. And I'm. I think that it does it reuse elements of the score from The Shining. Yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah, and I, I like I don't know. I think that everything it does to try and capture the spirit of the original, it gets really right, and well, it's, it's a nice continuation yeah. of mythos as well. Well, it's really slavish as well, and like rebuilding the Overlook to be as exact as it was in Kubrick's film, and that, that to me is incredible. Like that's so that's unbelievable that they've they've gone to those lengths to make it as accurate as they could yeah and, and that really pays off when they yeah. eventually have to do visit there it's, it's great also it was fun to see mcleod andrews oh yeah <laughs> of a ghost mate's fame um as a ghost at the end also by the way i think all the performances pretty much in this are amazing like i think ewan mcgregor gives a great performance i think rebecca ferguson's brilliant absolutely amazing yeah, uh-huh. uh huh. It's, it's it's just it's just very very good. I'm really glad that having built it up for a while, it was as good as I hoped it would be. I'm definitely interested enough, like I say, to go back and watch the theatrical. But yeah, big win, Doctor Sleep for me. Mike Flanagan has to be the best Stephen King adapter going because I thought Doctor Sleep was amazing. I thought Gerald's Game was brilliant as well. Notoriously, Stephen King films have got a bit of a, a kind of dodgy past and they're bit hit and miss but certainly the ones that Mike Flanagan has done are pretty strong yeah I agree I, I think that they're all really good um, I would quite like to after this Hill House Bly, Man- Bly Manor and stuff like that I would quite like to see him do an original story sure again yeah. mm-hmm. But yeah, like he keeps getting handed these big properties and keeps on knocking it out of the park, which is great. The only other thing that I have this week, really, um, I jumped on the Soho Horror Festival shock down Saturdays last night. Ah, oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. How was that? Um, it was good. There was um, a Zoom murder mystery party, which uh, was very fun. I liked that a lot. But the film that uh, <laughs> I watched, so he, he showed Chesterberg, uh, Mitch screened Chesterberg, which um, I'd seen before when he um, when he screened it at one of the uh, all-day festivals last year. So I, I didn't watch that, but I did watch uh, Murder, Berry Win. Oh, right, okay. Now, you mentioned this last week on the minisode. Yes, now this is from director Michael Levan. I hope I'm saying that right. But um, basically what you have here is you've got three guys who are trying to kickstart a board game. Right, okay. Uh, called Murder, Very Win, uh, which is about 
bedding a body and getting away with it. Or hiding a body, should I say. Their Kickstarter doesn't work, but basically they are approached by this guy who is kind of like a board game, an indie board game magnate, basically. Right, okay. Who is like, I will fund your game on the condition, or I'll make the game kind of thing and release it, distribute it, on the condition that I take credit as the sole creator. All right, okay. Uh-huh. So one thing leads to another, and the three of them end up with a dead body on their hands. <laughs> okay. And um, it's almost like a comedy horror version of uh, Body. All right, right, okay. I really like this a lot. It's really, really fun. Uh, a lot of really funny lines in it. Some fun practical effects. This was, it's, yeah, it's like it's like kind of madcap. It's a little bit capery, um, which I have a limited threshold for, but it really worked for me here. Uh, so yeah, I dug this quite a bit. Uh, but like performance-wise, all three leads really likable, really funny. Uh, sharp little script. Yep, no, it was uh, it was a winner for me. Brilliant, amazing. Yeah, and well done once again, of course, to uh, Mitch for keeping on, keeping on with the online uh, festival stuff mm. as we hopefully near amazing. the end of lockdown. He is, uh, he's keeping a lot of people sane at the moment. Yeah, by the way, Mitch, uh, were you the murderer? I was not, no. Right, okay, say no more. No, yeah. Say no more. So? Yeah, Nature Gone Wild. <laughs> yes. Oh, man, I think for the third week in a row, I have stayed with our... Uh, Find friends of the deep. Yeah, uh-huh. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because I think two weeks ago I watched uh, Shark Lake with Dolph Lundgren. And then last week, I wa- <laughs> of course, famously, I watched Shark and Saw Women's Prison Massacre. Yes, uh-huh, uh-huh. That was, uh, that was kind of like the nadir of this entire venture. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Uh, I decided let's stay with sharks. Stay on Amazon Prime, obviously, because that's where the wealth of this stuff is found. And I watched uh, Ron Bonk's... <laughs> How shark? That sounds like a Mitch's Pitches director that Tony would make up. Ron Bonk. Yeah. <laughs> a guy who's like a 70s sex comedy director. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. <laughs> uh, House Shark. Okay. House um, Shark. Yeah. Tell me more. Uh, so, this is a story of a guy called Frank who finds his house beset by this kind of breeder shark that no one's ever seen before, obviously, because it's attacked this house. And, uh, and he uh, gets a guy who's a house shark expert, the one, the only house shark expert, uh, to come and help him. And a, and a former real estate agent okay, to sure. help him destroy the shark. I really thought this was brilliant. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, it's not brilliant, it's terrible, but I enjoyed it. I had more fun with it than I certainly had last the last two weeks what i will say though and uh, uh, this is going to blow your fucking mind right it's a film called house shark right it's rocking a pretty decent 5.4 out of 10 on imdb sturdy but it's an hour and 52 minutes long it's how fucking long an hour and 52 minutes like i was watching it and i was like what's going on about this uh, and then i checked and yeah sure enough an hour 52 that's outrageous for a, a film like this Yes, I think that that is, uh, if you'd asked me uh, to estimate how long House Shark was, I probably would have said 78 minutes. I think anything over 80 minutes for a film like this is an absolute cheek. Yes, I would say. It's certainly bold. I'll say that. Like, you got to know what you're doing. But I'm glad you enjoyed it. I feel like you were due a win. Yeah, well, I mean, it's uh, this isn't going to be for everyone, but uh, I enjoyed it better than I enjoyed the last two weeks' worth. Well, you know what? Thank heaven for small mercies. Yeah. So. What have they been saying? Feedback time then. Unsurprisingly, we have had a mountain of feedback this week on our episode on Shocker. Yes, and massive thanks again to Becky Dark of the Don't Point That Horror At Me podcast, Ghouls Magazine, frequent contributor to our pals at Evolution of Horror, 
an absolute treat having Becky on and an absolute delight to revisit Shocker. Yeah, she has already uh, spoken of her intention to come back on, which uh, she is more than welcome to do because that was a really, really fun chat. Yeah, a few previous guests have verbalised a desire to return recently. Yeah, which uh, which we love. <laughs> We're doing something right. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, like you say, a bunch of people getting in touch on this one. Dan Popomatic. Shocker is kind of all over the place in terms of tone and plot. It's also a shade too long. It's kind of fun, though, and Mitch Pelegi is clearly having a blast in it. Looking forward to hearing what Strong Violent PC and Bunny Dark have to say about it, though. Dan, coming up a little bit more mixed than some people. To be honest, not far away from that opinion is Kevin Matthews at Salt Tired Popcorn saying, I still rate Shocker at about 6 out of 10. It's an entertaining mess and Peter Berg isn't the best lead. But the latest Strong Violent PC has Bunny Dark sharing her love for it with an honesty and passion that makes me hope others at least give it a watch. Perfect weekend fun. Lovely. That's that's a really nice message. Yeah, thanks, Kevin. Also, Keanu O'Brien. Thanks to Strong Violent PC and Bunny Dark for doing Shocker, both because it's a hell of a movie and leading me to discover the best worst band name of all time. (laughs) Uh, This is uh, in reference to the name of the band that recorded the theme song for Shocker, The Dudes of Wrath. Yeah, yeah, that that would be the super group with Paul Stanley I was talking about. Yes, you are correct. Yeah, that is a, that is indeed one of the worst band names I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> that was like two minutes before the, that had to go to like print in the credits. They were like, "What the fuck are we going to call ourselves?" Uh, also, new person alert. I believe uh, Haley Bridgman. Hi, Haley. Uh, Haley MB nineteen eighty one on Twitter. Can't wait for this episode. I remember convincing my dad to buy me the novelization from a discount bookseller years after it was released. Must have been my next step after Point Horror. Excellent. Uh, did you know that a novelization of Shocker existed? I didn't, but to be honest, that doesn't surprise me because I'm constantly amazed at the films that received novelizations. As you know, Mitch, I'm a big novelization guy. I've got quite a lot. Um, and I didn't know that one for Shocker existed, but I will definitely attempt to hunt that down. I'd be keen to see if they expand on any of the more confusing elements of Shocker. Yeah, I would be curious to know uh, the extent to which they deconstruct the physics also, of that would, film. Also, wouldn't mind a little bit of backstory on Horace Pinker. Yeah, yeah, that'd be good. I have a couple other things, but no more on Shocker, if you have anything else that you want to get uh, off your chest. Quite a few, actually. Most of what I've got left Shocker, so I'll just fire through a few things. Headhaunter, at head underscore haunter underscore on Twitter, saying, Ooh, yes. This was the first proper horror movie I ever remember seeing, so I'm quite excited for this episode. Oh, cool. Okay, nice. And our old pal at Bill Carr uh, saying, Mm -hmm. First watch of Shocker tonight. Enjoying it so far. I can't really tell if this Megadeth track is diegetic, but I really hope (laughs) they are actually piping in No More Mr. Nice Guy as warm-up music for the execution. I said in the episode that I believe that is the case, and the reason I say that is because later on in the film, Pinker, when he's inhabiting the coach quotes no more mr nice guy yeah i had the um i had the same uh, dilemma as as bill did uh so it's nice to know that it's not just me but yeah i'm just happy to accept that it was diegetic that was having a good scene I, I, like that that makes me much happier as a narrative yeah i, I mean I, I don't see what you can get anything you want to eat surely you should go out to your favorite song absolutely more than shocker yeah quite a bunch here so i'll just run through three in a row uh, starting with Sandy Gotra at Sandy75Mars saying, It's Friday, what else am I going to listen to on my way to work but Strong Violent PC's latest episode? Sandy, thank you as always, you're amazing. Yes, always love to hear from you Sandy, hope you're doing well. Uh, Feebunny getting in touch on Twitter, that, that is Carpenter is God to say, A Strong Violent Action Van. Uh, yeah, that was because Becky didn't know what her podcast was called. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that was an unfortunate slip. Yeah, um, yeah. And of course, Scared Sheepless, our old pal Caitlin, 
just saying, just lost it at Chekhov's vibrating recliner. So did Horace Pinker. Well, he became the, the vibrating recliner. He was the vibrating recliner. The killer sofa. Yes, as it were. Um, moving away from Shocker, I uh, want to say a quick hello to Turnstile Blues on Twitter who got in touch and asked us if we'd come across Slacks yet, the uh, Killer Jeans movie. Mm, you um, have. I have, yeah, I've seen it. Um, and it is precisely as ridiculous as the title and premise kind of posit. But it's really good, like, um, and it's really clever, um, and it's got some quite smart things to say. I like that film a lot, um, and actually we'll come to it, but if you do want to see Slacks for yourself, then you're going to have a way to very soon. Yeah, I think I know where you're going with this. Mm-hmm. Uh, last thing I've got is Neil at Horror of Dracula getting in touch off the back of something that we put out on Patreon. Uh, if you're not on our Patreon, this probably isn't going to make a lot of sense to you. Um, but I'm going to read it anyway. Uh, Neil got in touch to say, enjoying the Strong Violent PC Patreon episode on Edge of the Axe, uh, which is currently available, by the way, on both the Arrow Player and Shudder. Deep diving into 1980s beverages is what we needed right now. For the record, Tango over Sunkist. Now, that opens up a lot of questions, obviously. You've got your Tangos, you've got your Fantas, you've got your Sunkist. You threw in the frankly preposterous suggestion that Britvik was the best. Um, Britvik's brilliant. You also have things like San Pellegrino, if you're feeling particularly fancy. Um, yeah. I'd quite like people to get in touch and let us know their favourite orange carbonated beverage. Uh, yeah, this um, I decided not to go through the blow-by-blow blow on the feedback on this because it was quite extensive. The discourse on this was plentiful. Sure. Um, so, uh, yeah, I would be curious also. But, yeah, it's pretty thick, though. Dark horse. <laughs> it's not. Also, on the subject of the Edge of the Axe episode, or at least kind of tangentially related uh, with Patreon in general, a couple of rumblings for us to cover Shockwave Darkseid uh, for an Irredeemables episode, mm-hmm. um, which we didn't think was accessible until uh, it was kindly pointed out to us, I believe by Neil actually, that uh, it's Steve on. Steve Care. Oh, Steve Care, I apologize. Pointing out that it exists on Amazon Prime just under the name Darkseid, so it may happen yet. Yeah, that was the. See, that was the, what the mistake we were making. I was looking for it under Shortwave Darkseid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, who knows? It, it may be in our future because we are masochists. Yeah, and we hate ourselves. Yeah, we sure do. <laughs> Anything else? No, that's all. Okay, cool. It is once again time for Mitch's Pitches then. Mitch's Pitches is a feature on the show that is designed to exploit my ignorance for your entertainment. While we're recording, Andy will send a picture to my phone. It will be a poster from a horror film from years gone by. He'll have photoshopped out the title and the tagline and left only the image. It will fall to me to describe it to the best of my ability and give it a title and a synopsis. Last week, we had Blessed Are the Children, reappropriated by me as unidentified crying objects to infancy and beyond. Oh yeah, yeah, of course, wow. So, a bunch of people getting in touch and sending in some pitches of their own. I've been quite excited about this. I feel like there's going to be some good stuff here. I'm going to try and shoot through as much of these as possible. Uh, Kinell first then. A tiny demonic baby is kidnapping corpses to convert into interdimensional dwarf slaves in 1980s thinly veiled Italian rip-off Pramtasm? <laughs> oh hey, did you see uh, Kinell's latest rap battle? I did, it was amazing. Amazing. Well done Kinell, that was brilliant. It really was. Gorham then, when lead singer of the Bay Shitty Rollers, Curtain Rod, has a child with a satanic cult that only spells trouble in 1978's Die Die Baby, Baby Die Die. Cool. <laughs> uh, Hanny underscore Ray, parenthood proves to be hell for Barbara and Kenneth Dahl, who have their prayers for a baby seemingly answered by a little mystery child left on the doorstep. Unfortunately, this bundle does not bring joy. It's 1982's Lullaby. Okay, cool, cool. Uh, Cosmic Ray Girl, 1995's When the Rubber Breaks, a Baby Will Call. <laughs> uh, Bill Carr, a six-month-old baby played by Channing Tatum, is observed by an unhallowed perambulator. 
The demons that dwell within it give him an intensive course in witchcraft and send him back on a mission to corrupt the youth of the English town of Peterborough in Giovanni Laldi's stunted warlock. <laughs> Darren Gaskell, with the costs of the franchise spiralling out of control, it's time for a much cheaper reset as we follow the adventures of the illegitimate three-month-old baby Dominic Toretto doesn't know he fathered. No Vin Diesel, no Michelle Rodriguez, no Ludacris, no Dwayne Johnson, no Jason Statham. Just a cast of unknowns and some terrifying CGI babies going head-to-head in a series of increasingly destructive, competitive pram races and Fast and Furious to the next generation. <laughs> Uh, Guy referred when a young mother and her hipster friend sneak out to a party, leaving the baby alone. Little did they know this would lead to a horrific night of pain, torture and unfortunate events. After being abducted by bank robbers and left for dead in the woods, it really could be their last party. The culprits, though, take refuge in the house, only to find a baby who is out for vengeance. Oh, Prepare man. yourself for the last pram on the left. <laughs> Kevin Matthews, who do you call when the walking dead haven't even learned to walk yet? Not content with simply defecating and vomiting over their parents, babies are suddenly starting to eat human flesh. Only one man can stop the nappied army of darkness. He's Davy Poppins. <laughs> Due for a belated release in October 2021, and with Christian Slater in the lead role, it's the dark and twisted The Prambulator. <laughs> this Halloween trick-or-treat, lovely. Uh. CP Buckley on Instagram then, in 1891, a child is born after a demonic ritual. However, when the child is brought home, a mysterious fire causes the death of the parents and seemingly the baby. 1982, a young couple, Cheryl and Henry Tiptoe, move into the newly renovated house. When they find out that Henry can't have children, they decide to adopt. After finding out how much it costs, they realise that they may never have a family. (laughs) (laughs) Soon after, Cheryl starts to hear strange noises in the house, but Henry doesn't believe her. When he comes home one day to find Cheryl cradling a baby, he panics, feeling that she may have crossed a line and abducted a child. But Cheryl tells him that the house gave the baby to them. As the child grows, strange things start to happen around the couple. Strange accidents happen close to Henry, and Cheryl seems to be ageing faster than she should be. Now Henry must find out the truth about the child from the only man who may be able to help them. Dick Hardman? Dick Hardman. It's the 1982 scathing indictment of the US adoption system, the Hardman Factor. A mother's love, a demon's love. Right, okay. (laughs) Uh, And to wrap up, James Rodriguez. When a couple move into a spooky house, they never expected how the change in scenery would affect their baby. All of a sudden, the child has grown a moustache, spontaneously wears a yellow jacket, and his first words are Deo. Yes, the baby has been possessed by the spirit of Freddie Mercury. It's the film that showed Brian May would sign off on any old shite long before Bohemian Rhapsody was released. Strap yourself in for 1994's Radio Goo Goo Gaga. (laughs) Strong indeed. That is your lot for this week. Not bad. Not bad at all, folks. Um... Okay, so I'm going to give the best pitch to Kevin. Okay. And the best character name to Giovanni Laldi. Giovanni Laldi, great. Yes, that is really good. Yeah, okay, so Kevin and Bill, this week's winners. Big congratulations to both of you. A whole load of nothing on its way to you both. Well done, well done. I see Kevin posted a photo of his nothing delivery last week, so he's rolling in nothing. Yeah, can't get moved for nothing. No, what a guy. So. Yeah, ready? Let's see. Here it comes. Okay, here we go. Got it. How are you feeling about this? Yeah, I think I need to do something about this. Uh, pretty simple image this time, I've got to say. Yeah, uh, yeah no, no keeping it. Keeping it. The past couple of weeks, I've kept them quite simple for you. Yeah, no uh, no border to the image. Mm-hmm. Uh, background is black, and I would say like shadowy. Okay. Like it's about like going in low lighting here. <laughs> um, so we have a uh, shot from behind. We have a pair of legs uh, from kind of calf down. Right, sure. They're kind of wearing old, kind of worn out looking jeans. Uh, they're kind of rough around the seams, and there's a a hole in the back left leg or a couple of holes um also seem to be wearing kind of like a sturdy outdoor shoe yeah like a work boot 
type. Yeah. yeah. And uh, appear to be walking on a path that I am going to say is kind of, it looks like it's maybe like rural. Sure. <laughs> okay. Okay. There's not much to work with here. I kind of got to extrapolate a little bit. So, um, but yeah, I think that mo- like most kind of striking about this image, though, are both legs are being grabbed by wizened-looking kind of long-nailed or almost clawed hands. Sure. Uh, one hand grabbing the left leg and two hands grabbing the right leg. So there you go. Uh, shot from behind, a person wearing uh, jeans and work boots walks a rural trail while being grabbed um, around the legs by monstrous hands. Fair. Can't say fairer than that. Okay, I'll do it a minute. Sure, no problems. I still don't know whether it's easier or harder to go with ones that are like super duper detailed where you've got so much to work with or if it's kind of simpler to keep it simple. I think that like it's almost too broad sometimes and that's why I sometimes kind of like pick one detail and just build a world out of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, because you kind of have to um, under under the circumstances, which I'm just honestly is kind of what I'm doing here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just pre- preemptively justifying my actions a little bit, but uh, yeah, I think I'm just about there with this one. All right, okay. <clears throat> it's Christmas, and mild-mannered rural pastor Hank Delord is living a life of quiet seclusion. <laughs> Stop there, everybody, go home. The best title, the best character name is Mitch. Thanks. Uh, living in his remote cabin in the woods, he gives sermons weekly to a small but devoted group of followers and largely keeps himself to himself in between. This blessed day is no different, and Hank's day starts as so many do with a trip to the church. However, things soon take a turn for the worse. The church's famous statue depicting Jesus as a lumberjack has been stolen, and elderly organist Maggie Pipes has been stabbed to death. Jesus. Hank flees outside to discover that the community has been overrun by tiny, scaly alien lifeforms obsessed with murder, theft, and savaging people from below the knee with their razor-sharp claws. Stack the halls with heads and bodies this Christmas in 1977's infamous holiday season B-movie, Nabber Stabber Ankle Grabber. <laughs> Wow. I feel like it was all downhill after Hank Delord. It really was, yeah. yeah. And it's uh, okay. such a specific MO that you gave to these little creatures. Uh, yeah, anybody would think that I did it for rhyming convenience. Yeah, I think uh, I think maybe you did. But, uh, uh, I mean, obviously I'm above that kind of behaviour. Yeah, yeah. What but, year did you uh, say? I said 1977. <laughs> okay, the year was 2019. <laughs> I forgot you said you were going to start going a little bit more current with these. Okay, what we got? Uh, this is uh, a film I haven't seen, so before you even ask, I don't know anything about it. Okay. Uh, beyond what I, but what I can read in the synopsis. Um, but this is A Stranger Among the Living. <laughs> a Stranger Among the Living, okay. Um, what's this about? Who's synopsizing? Uh, I think the synopsisizer might actually be the same as last week. Uh, <laughs> CWM Entertainment? That's right, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm guessing maybe that this is uh, company blurbs uh, for the companies that have maybe distributed these two films. I'm going to say recurrent synopsisizer with weird handle. <laughs> right, sure. Uh, but anyway, the synopsis is as follows. Um, a young teacher finds himself haunted by the undead after narrowly escaping a school shooting. Oh, wow. Okay. Hmm, heavy. Right, okay. Um, I was about to ask if it's any good, but you haven't seen it, so you don't know. No, but I can tell you the IMDb score is 4.4 out of 10. So take from that what you will. Yeah. Okay, I will. Uh, that concludes <laughs> Mitch's Pitches for this week, though. That image is everywhere, so uh, if you want to get in touch and join in, then please do. You could be winners like Kevin and Bill. Mm-hmm. 
Streaming platforms then, no shortage of stuff this week, gotta tell you. Um, starting off then with Now TV. On Tuesday the 16th, we've got Concrete Plans, which I believe was a festival film from last year. Will Jewell's tense worksite tale is a dog-eat-dog state-of-the-nation thriller. Ooh. And on Thursday 18th, we've got Tremors Shrieker Island. Oh, yes. Uh, Bert Gummer must save the day when a wealthy playboy unleashes a gigantic carnivorous worm and other monsters on a tropical island. This one stars uh, Richard Brake and John Hedder, amongst other people. Yeah, yeah, these... Do you know, the Tremors franchise, I think, is one of the few franchises that has never, like, they're not all bad. Like, the ones that came after, the direct-to-DVD ones, they're not, like, all bad at all. Okay, cool. So they're one um, of the few franchises, I think, that are actually all right. Interesting. Okay, well, that's available from Thursday the 18th. Amazon Prime, there's nothing really, but if you have kids, want to start them on something a little bit spooky, Hotel Transylvania 2 lands uh, okay. this week on okay. Monday. On Netflix on Thursday, uh, Andy, I Smell Smoke. Ooh. Deadly Illusions. After a best-selling novelist suffering from writer's block hires a new nanny for her children, the line between fiction and reality start to blur. Oh, wow, okay. Also, I believe the closing film from the October Fright Fest event from last year, Skylines. Oh, right, okay, yeah, yeah, the sequel to Skyline. Yeah, when a mysterious alien virus begins to endanger humanity, an elite team of soldiers launches into space to end that threat for good. Uh, on Friday, we've got Fatal. A one-night stand in Las Vegas turns into a nightmare for a married successful sports agent when the stranger he cheated with wreaks havoc on his life. Oof, Okay. And on Saturday, hospital. In an abandoned hospital in Tainan, visitors seeking to communicate with a relative spirits are haunted by disturbing supernatural occurrences. Onwards to Shudder then, and um, some kind of proper classics dropping on Shudder this week on Tuesday. Okay. Uh, Nosferatu, 1922. Oh, wow. Brilliant. Amazing. Uh, in this highly influential silent horror film, the mysterious Count Orlok summons Thomas Hutter to his remote Transylvanian castle on the mountains. After Orlok reveals his vampiric nature, Hutter struggles to escape the castle. Also from 1929, The Great Gabo. Mm-hmm. The Great Gabo is a mentally unstable ventriloquist who brutally demeans his assistant Mary, blaming her for their lack of success. Fed up, she quits, only to find herself performing as a dancer in a major show featuring Gabo two years later. Though she's now married, Gabo makes a play for her, and when she rejects him, the madness returns. Mm. Also, uh, the same day, 1932, White Zombie. Oh, cool, amazing. A young man turns to a witch doctor to lure the woman he loves away from her fiancé, but instead turns her into a zombie slave. Lugosi's eyebrows, that's what that film's all about. <laughs> By the way, talking about Nosferatu, I remember going to see Nosferatu one time and it was like uh, with a live score. Oh, cool. And I was expecting something really kind of gothic. Uh, and it was like this incredibly weird kind of improvised prog. So, all right, okay. Uh, <laughs> it, it was so fucking bizarre, man. Like, it was the weirdest fucking thing. I thought you were going to say that it was like the baby elephant walk or something. No, no, no. That, that, would, have been, that would have made more sense. Like, this was like just a, a guy on a bass, a guy on a guitar, and a drummer just like gone mad just like weird just <laughs> hang on <laughs> um wrapping up the streaming platforms this week then i did mention it earlier thursday the 18th coming to shutter we've got slacks yeah. from elza kephart so a possessed pair of jeans is brought to life to punish the unscrupulous practices of a trendy clothing company now like i say this sounds really silly and obviously to a certain extent it is but it is also really clever it's a really smart film i think also one thing i really like about this is that the killer jeans don't look like they are filled with human legs yeah, yeah, you said that when you talked about it. Yeah, I think it's I think it's really cool. It does just look like a flat pair of jeans as opposed to it looking like they're being worn by someone that's been like green screened out. Yeah, 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 like Invisible Man. Yeah, it's really cool. But yeah, that's your streaming platform lot for this week. Uh, pick of the week. You could go for one of those classics if you like. It's kind of hard for me to see past 
Nosferatu, to be honest. Yeah, this might be the week that I finally watch that. Yeah. Because I have never seen it. So, uh, yeah, so uh, the time may well be now. Well, you could score uh, it yourself at home. This is true, I could. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I have the technology. Uh, but, yeah, loads of stuff to be getting stuck into this week. Of course, if you check any of it out, please do let us know. Turning our attentions, then, to this week's show. Yeah. And uh, we do have a guest this week. He is the director of such films as The Witch in the Window and uh, We Go On, and also the new film The Harbinger. Yeah. Sandy Mitten. Yes, and I'm really, really unbelievably looking forward to this one. I can't even, I can't even overstate how much I'm looking forward to this. We're going back to 1986. Break out the cocaine, guys! It's Maximum Overdrive. Really excited to talk about Maximum Overdrive with Andy Mitten this week. I did not realise this was directed by Stephen King. Yeah, yeah, directed by Stephen King when he was in the midst of the maddest cocaine binge of his life by his own admission. Apparently he doesn't even remember making the film, really. Oh, wow, okay. Uh, So a lot to unpack then with Andy's aid this week. Uh, If you want to get in touch and talk to us about that and anything else that we've been talking about today, then you can do through all the usual channels. Facebook and Instagram are Strong Language Violent Scenes. You can tweet Strong Violent PC. You can email stronglanguagevalentscenes at gmail.com and you can also join in the conversation on the Chud Locker. And yes, please check out our Patreon if you haven't already. And if the, the idea of discussions about carbonated beverages doesn't float your boat, then I'm sorry, you'll find nothing on our Patreon to love. <laughs> very true. Um, we will be back on the Patreon this week as well, so keep your eyes peeled for that. Yes, yes we will. However, this Friday, back in the main feeds, talking Maximum Overdrive with Andy Mitten. Join us then if you can. In the meantime, don't forget, it is better to die a hero than live as food in a world of chuds. Goodbye. See ya! You've been listening to Strong Language and Violent Scenes with Andy Stewart and Mitch Bain. Strong Language and Violent Scenes theme by Mitch Bain. Production and artwork by Andy Stewart. Find us on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts and Podbean.